Mr Howard called me to offer his congratulations. The people have spoken, but it's going to take a little while to determine exactly what they've said. You obviously enjoyed hearing it, so let me say it again. The Government of Australia has changed. We have every confidence that we will form a coalition majority government in the next time. Below the Line, the Federal Election 2022, brought to you by La Trobe University with The Conversation. Hello, welcome to Below the Line. From polls to party spin to election promises, Below the Line is a limited edition podcast unpacking party lines and policies during this 2022 Australian election. I'm hosting The Conversation. I'm John Fain. I'm now a Vice-Chancellor's Fellow at the University of Melbourne after many years at the ABC. And I'm joined by Sydney Uni expert political scientists Annika Goya, Simon Jackman, and from La Trobe Uni, Andrea Carson. We'll talk about the issues that matter to you. Below the Line is brought to you by The Conversation website and La Trobe University, and we hope to do it twice a week until polling day. The big issue this time, this stage, in this phase of this election, is when the poll will be called and what is stopping the Prime Minister from doing so. Andrea Carson, what's your view? I think it'll probably get called within the next week. In answer to your question about what's stopping it, pre-selections. The Liberal Party still has some outstanding seats that haven't been filled yet or the pre-selection hasn't been determined and that's now headed to the courts with the New South Wales court withholding judgment on Friday and so they need to make a ruling one would think. I mean it's not absolutely conditional on that. You can call an election without the um, seats being filled but it's not desirable. Well this whole internal uh, feud, Annika, is a complete mystery to anybody outside of the New South Wales Liberal Party. Can you explain it? Oh, look, it's completely crazy, John, and I think it's pretty unprecedented uh, the length of time that it's actually gone on for. The whole dispute is actually between the Liberal Party, the Federal Division, and the New South Wales Division at the moment, and it all relates to the ability of members to have a say in party pre-selections. Party changed its rules in New South Wales a a couple of years ago to give members a greater say in pre-selection. And what this has done is obviously curtail the ability of the party factions to determine the the pre-selections and to, uh, to distribute the spoils of parliamentary office between them. But this is the expense that we pay for that. So as Andrea mentioned, it's ended up in the courts. I don't think there's any real legitimate or particularly interesting legal issue that the courts have got to decide. Uh, they just need to sort out the mess that is currently the New South Wales Liberal Party. Sure. In front of the New South Wales Court of Appeal, the judges, their honours, will have to decide on the interpretation of the Constitution. But I've heard this described in several different ways. And whether you or Simon can explain it, is it um, the religious conservatives against the moderates or is it the the wets against the dries? Is it clear exactly where the demarcation lies? It's pretty much the extreme right against the right of, of the party. And the extreme right faction of the political party were actually those who were, were able to get their act together when these rules were changed some years ago and to mobilise people to join the party as members, to have their say. So they're the ones that are really pushing for this membership say in pre-selections. And the, the centre-right, moderate-right, which is uh, Morrison's uh, faction, is obviously pushing against this move as well. So they're the two camps that we have in New South Wales, John. 
Okay. Now, Simon, years ago, I remember Kelly O'Dwyer saying to me when they were having another version of, of fratricide within the New South Wales branch of the Liberal Party, and I was saying, look, surely because you all share a similar vision, you can sort all this out. Why don't you all sit down and someone bang your heads together? And she said, oh, no, you can't negotiate with terrorists. Is this where we're at again now, Simon? Oh, I don't know about that, but um, it is starting to impinge markedly on the electoral viability of, of the Liberal Party. Punters can't help start paying attention to this. This is no longer something that occupies merely um, the, the political junkies amongst us. But between Kimberley Kitchen and now that remarkable outburst in the parliament from uh, Connie Wells uh, the other night, uh, this is something that's starting to cut through. And I'd also point out that the other news that got a huge run in, in just media in the last 24 hours is that they're actually turning back to go look back at Morrison's own pre-selection in 08. And, and the longer this drags on, the more I think journos will feel empowered to make this a bit of a yarn as we as we head in towards, I think, as, as Andrea foreshadowed, an election being called uh, later this week. Well, it's the oldest thing, isn't it? If you can't run your party, you can't run the country. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And if the if the band-aids are falling off the wounds in the Liberal Party, Andrea Carson, then surely it's, you know, it's it's almost fatal, is it not? Well, you could say that, except it's also happening on the other side. Right. Uh, as Annika mentioned, with the Kimberley Kitchen fallout and the untimely and tragic death of the senator, her pre-selection prior to that was up in the air and Kim Carr has just lost his pre-selection in the Senate after well, he, holding that since 93. He retired. He announced he wasn't going to contest, but I suspect he would have read the tea leaves and seen the numbers weren't going his way, yeah? Yes, I think technically you're correct, John, um, but I think there was some reading of the tea leaves. And there's some change going on, at least in the Victorian Labor Party, with a realignment of some of the factions there, and that's what we're seeing play out. But that's probably um, not grabbing the attention of the public right now as much as the character assassinations that are going through for um, the Prime Minister and the pre-selection issues that are informing that, which is why I think we saw that extraordinary outburst in the Senate from the... Um, from Connie for Vanny Wells. Right? That's right, who missed out on being pre-selected for the Senate. Yes, well, the body of uh, criticism of the Prime Minister all in one particular direction is starting to mount up, but I don't, I don't want to get so much distracted by that as some of the issues that I think are more enduring. But let's just deal with one other thing first. Simon, do you think on the timing, do you think we're looking at May 7, May 14 or May 21, which is the last possible date? Yeah, I think May 7 is probably fading um, and had been fading for a while. I think it's we're down to those two Saturdays and probably the latter of the two, potentially. And the other thing to note about timing of the election, uh, John, and we are all aware of this on this podcast, um, is that once they go into caretaker, the ability to use government money for advertising and flogging uh, the budget with those rather creative ads that have been running uh, in, in, in mainstream media, at least of late, um, all that goes away. They've got to start paying for their own advertising. So you drag it out for as long as you can? I think you let this go for a little bit longer and try to use that government money to get a bit of a counter narrative to this sort of earlier thing we were talking about, the Prime Minister's character as reflected in the viciousness of these pre-selection battles. So Annika, how important is it that there's the interruptions of two holidays, both the Easter break, but then the Anzac Day long weekend as well? 
Yeah, well, it certainly um, provides, a, I suppose, a vehicle for people to be distracted by other things. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Easter, but also Eurovision is a very important thing. Uh, <laughs> and he's hoping it's not announced, uh, it's not going to be held on May May 14. But it certainly, it punctuates election campaigns in the way that political parties don't want. They want that media attention. They want that concentration. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's a little bit harder for parties to, and personalities to stage sort of campaign events during those periods too. Certainly Anzac Day brings with it opportunities um, for the Liberal Party. We can we can see... Wrap yourself in a flag sort of thing. Wrap yourself in a flag, talk about the uh, the Anzacs, the Australian, you know, Australian mateship, notions of mateship, which was really a popular thing for, for Johnny Howard. And also if Morrison decides to do the rounds of religious organisations at Easter, that may well play into to his hands as well. So as far as holidays go and the significance that lie behind those two holidays, if the Liberal Party wants to, to work hard and to try, I think they can capitalise on those, actually. Have they got enough money for a long campaign? Because that's been a major problem. Remember, Malcolm Turnbull had to bail them out at the last election. Yeah, that's right. I mean, oh, sorry, you know... The one before the last election. <laughs> public subsidies in Australia are reasonably uh, are reasonably um, generous. Mind you, they've probably spent everything in the courts that they have for this campaign. But as Simon well, was saying, I think, you know, with, with our conventions in Australia, we have a lot of leeway for, for parliamentarians to use their parliamentary allowances. Um, everyone probably would have gotten their communications from their, their local member advertising their activities throughout the year. And there are actually some changes made to parliamentary legislation in 2017 that allow parliamentary staffers to continue to travel with MPs on campaigning business paid for at taxpayers' expense. Huh. Wow, that's a new one. I didn't I wasn't aware, aware of that. Yeah. Kasa, you wanted to jump in just a moment ago. Well, I was just going to say, in WA, they certainly don't have any money. The party um, doesn't have party status in WA at the moment at the state level. Um, but we are seeing the spending starting to ratchet up on Facebook, and we're seeing separate spending with digital ads for the different branches of the parties, but also um, Scott Morrison its personal spend or as Prime Minister is starting to go up. Most of that money, if you look across the country, is heading off towards WA to try and have some influence there. You're listening to Below the Line, picking apart the polls, the party spin and the policies. Below the Line is presented in partnership with La Trobe University and The Conversation. Subscribe, share and vote Below the Line. To get more information or to get in contact, please see the episode notes. We've seen something very unusual this election campaign already. Traditionally, there are safe Liberal Party seats and safe Labor Party seats where the parties feel they don't have to spend a lot of money. They can raise a lot of money because they've got a big support base, but then they export that money and send it out to marginal seats. And of course, individual warlords use that on both sides of politics in order to buy influence with people who they rescue by sending money to their local campaign. But I'm well informed that um, Josh Frydenberg, for instance, in Keong in metropolitan Melbourne is spending in excess of $2 million to sandbag his own seat. That's money that in previous elections, the member for Kuyong, whether it was Josh or his predecessors, would have exported to marginal seats in Chisholm and Deakin. Same thing happening in Queensland, Peter Dutton under siege, and the same thing happening in safe Liberal seats in New South Wales. Labor Party, because of its standing in the polls, doesn't have that problem. Annika, do you think that's going to be a factor this time around? Oh, yeah, I think spending always is a factor. Um, I think it hints probably more to uh, Dutton and other politicians, you know, being concerned about their own campaigns. But, I mean, you can spend in certain electorates, but really, I mean, what people look at is they look at the party brand. 
So spending in that way is fairly diluted. And I think that this election, there's so much to sort of muddy the party brands that as we've seen in places like Wentworth already, Dave Sharma for the Liberals has done everything he can to disguise in his spending the fact that he's running for the Liberal Party at all. Um, so I look, I think that, you know, we have this sort of targeted spending, but the interesting thing about it is that it's going to be spending to try and minimise the party brand in the campaign. The spending we're not talking about, though, is the um, huge amount of pork barrelling that I expect to wash over the country in the next couple of weeks. Um, I th we'll have to go back and check the, the history on this, but the amount of money in announceables I expect to see could well be uh, an all-time high. Um, and keep an eye on um, not so much the Wentworths of this world, but this is, I think, about protecting um, some of the more uh, regional seats, particularly uh, in Queensland, where you'd think the Labor Party's only got one way to go with its vote share there, given how low it was and how popular a Labor state government is. Um, and the coalition really can't afford to lose uh, seats pretty much anywhere. Uh, and so they've got this just stupendous, I think, war chest ready to drop country. And, and I think... Using um, free media, <laughs> uh, that won't, you know, to draw attention to the to all these projects we're about to announce. I think that'll be a really big feature of this campaign and something for us to be be tracking as we as we head toward election day. How persuasive is a budget style announcement or a, or a, a you know, a, dare I say, it, a railway station car park or a bridge or something? I understand in rural electorates it's crucial, but in city electorates, do people notice? Do they do they really change their vote because of a billion here or a billion there? Simon? Um, not so much. Annika used the, the, the form of words party brand. Um, that remains overwhelmingly um, in, in most electorates. It's the, it's the determinative factor for most people. Uh, and then you get um, the personal characteristics of the leader. And, and this stuff like um, car parks and whatnot, very much on the margin and often an opportunity just to get to own the news that day um, rather than, I think, a, a vote switcher per se. But I think it's a very different story out in the, in rural and regional seats where the infrastructure needs are real, for, for one thing, and just incredibly impactful because given the tenuous nature of what economic life often looks like as just as a, as a matter of economic reality, these announceables are, are far more impactful in terms of the, the lived experiences of, of, of families um, and households in some of those seats, then, then I think the announcement of a car park um, at a railway station in a, in a, maybe in an outer metro seat, that actually does make a difference to people's lives. But it's very hard to think of what is it other than billboards is Frydenberg going to bring home to Kuyong? Um, what is it um, that Dave Sharma is going to drop, you know, or the Liberal Party could drop into a seat like Wentworth um, in terms of announceables, um, infrastructure and, and projects like that. So we're going to see, I think, and I defer to my colleagues on this one, different styles of campaigning um, in different parts of the country. I think it could be, that could be another distinguishing feature of, of this election, just given the different sort of stresses the government's under in particular. So do you think people will still be talking about the budget once the campaign proper gets underway or is it a is it just something that was the normal course of government business? I'd be surprised. The sugar hit from the budget I think is fairly short acting and campaigns bring their own events. Um, journalists are always looking for the gotcha moment or for the slip up and so the narrative moves fairly fast. The other point I wanted to bring up was what Annika alluded to uh, or spoke of with 
Dave Sharma um, not using the colours of the Liberal Party. In fact, Hanukkah, it's no coincidence, I think, that he's using teal, which is similar to, well, it's the same colours that the Climate 200 smattering of independents are using. And those candidates are being fielded in both Sharma's seat as well as in the Treasurer's seat, which I think poses another threat to them um, beyond the Labor Party, that they're really going to have to put their messaging out, targeted messaging, as Simon said, using uh, both the free media and the paid media, and and increasingly the digital campaign is going to be crucial. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think the independence is something we haven't spoken about yet, but it's going to be another decisive factor in this election. The fact that the independents who are already in Parliament are, are collaborating to sort of push through reforms if they're elected around ethics and truth in advertising, again, sort of like the Liberal Party ministers spending a lot on their campaigns, hints to me at a sense of confidence about their, their outcomes. So I think that's going to be key. And I think that the independent movement is also going to play out quite significantly in regional and rural electorates. And this is where that the real genesis of this modern movement started. The fact that, you know, the 21 voices for groups that have announced that they're endorsing a candidate, the vast majority are women, I think is also really important too and sort of really links this campaign back to the zeitgeist of the Me Too movement of what has been happening um, in Parliament House, women's rights, domestic violence and gender equality, which are all going to be, I think, well... More prominent issues, I don't, I'm going to say they're going to be really significant, but they're going to be much more prominent than they were in previous campaigns. All right, we've got time for a sort of closing remark from everybody, but I'm wondering if you can turn your mind perhaps to what you think we should watch out for that otherwise is not yet on the radar, if there's something that might creep up out of left field. And I've got one I'll offer up in a moment, but I'd like to hear from each of you first. Simon, do you think there's something that's just a bit below the radar at the moment that's going to turn out to be important? Keep an eye on these um, these announceables I was talking about. Um, I, like I said, I'm, I'm just staggered by the reservation the government has, 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 has kept to itself and sort of an unprecedented amount of, of pork barrelling because, uh, as uh, Andrea was alluding to, the sugar hit in the budget is ephemeral and by, by budget standards rather tepid, which makes me think, they're holding their fire for um, just airdropping buckets and buckets of pork around the country over the next five weeks in a way we just haven't seen in, in recent Australian elections. All right, I'll come back to you for prediction just before we finish. Casa? Parties have a thing called issue ownership, which is how the public perceives where they're strongest. And I think the coalition will be trying to really show the public that their strengths are the economy and we'll see foreign policy and defence creeping in there. With the war in Ukraine, I think they'll um, try and make hay out of lifting foreign policy in this campaign. And they feel that's something where they've got the edge over Labor because at the moment Labor Party's working very hard to make sure there's barely room for a, a cigarette paper between them on these issues. Yeah, absolutely. They're playing it very much like 2007 where Kevin Rudd, uh, instead of opposing everything, just um, settled on the same side as Howard to yeah. try and not have any of that space. So I think uh, Labor will make themselves a small target on these things, but the Coalition will be trying to push out those differences. All right. Annika, any known unknowns? 
Oh, look, I think people really should be focusing on the tactics of the campaign. I think it's already with the focus on um, personalities and pre-selections and the fact that it's going to be a pretty tight race. It's it's looking like it's going to get dirty. And what we've seen with campaigns overseas is uh, a lot of rise of dis, you know, disinformation, misinformation, politic, truth in political advertising. These are all things I think that the electorate really should be aware of and which I can start to see flowing into the campaign pretty soon. All right, so watch out for that. And watch out, I think, in this first week, the um, question raised in the Parliament by the Shadow Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus about why was the Solicitor General a government lawyer appearing in the High Court on the Liberal Party internal uh, battle before the courts. I think that might blow up and uh, won't be surprised to hear more about that in the next few days. Uh, let's whip around. We're almost out of time. Quick predictions. Simon, which way do you see it going? Labor um, at this point. YouGov has really done a lot of job, uh, work to rehabilitate, improve on its on its polling. They did a pretty good job in the South Australian election, so that would suggest that they've they've cured what was ailing them. Perhaps last cycle, at least one pollster seems to be doing. We have some hard evidence that they're a little more accurate than they were last time, and and that suggests to me that um, you know it's it's looking. In fact, you know, like a Labor win at this point, but, you know, a long way to go. Anything can happen. Absolutely. Annika? Yeah, look, I'd probably agree that it's Albanese's election to lose, but I think, you know, something that we can talk about next time is the fact that the electorate is a frustrated and an increasingly disengaged electorate too, and that plays havoc with um, party preferences. It plays havoc with uh, people's attachment to political parties, so we may see some pretty interesting stuff come out in the mix. Alrighty, in Casa. Well, there's some speculation about it maybe ending up as a hung parliament, but um, given the way the polls are going at the moment, and as Simon says, uh, the polls seem to be pretty accurate with South Australia. I think it'll at this point in time looks like a clear victory for Labor. All right, and for the record, um, young people laugh at Scott Morrison. Women don't like him. They've upset and alienated the ethnic Chinese vote. I don't see how they can possibly recover from all of those particular own goals, and I wouldn't be surprised, and I agree it's elbows to lose, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a fairly significant and decisive result to change the government. We will all end up either being incredibly clever and congratulated on our foresight or consigned to the rubbish bin as idiots and fools. In due course, we will see. It's been wonderful at least to tempt you all to put your toe in the water. You've been listening to Below the Line, presented to you by me, John Fain, a Vice-Chancellor's Fellow at the University of Melbourne, with Professors Annika Gallia and Simon Jackman from the University of Sydney and Dr Andrea Carson from La Trobe University. Speak to you again soon. Below the Line, the Federal Election 2022. Brought to you by La Trobe University with The Conversation. To get more information or to get in contact, please see the episode notes. I don't think you'd bother making complaints about the signs if I wasn't a threat. I get a question using the term mean girls. I believe that a drover's dog could lead the Labor Party to victory. He is adept at running with the foxes and hunting with the hounds, lacking the moral compass and having no conscience. We should celebrate and honour the way in which we conduct this great Australian democracy of ours. And it's been on display again tonight.
Below the Line is presented in partnership with La Trobe University and The Conversation. Subscribe, share and vote Below the Line.